Welcome to Lakeside Church's message podcast. Our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus, find your church family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Let's join the message already in progress. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to start there. Um, there's a lot of scriptures I have prepared for today. I don't think I'm going to get to all of them, but I, I put a lot of time in this week trying to, to make sure we could talk about Pentecost the right way in a way that's biblical. So let, let's pray, and then we'll talk. Lord, it is good to read your word. It is good to celebrate the good things that you've done. Lord, thank you for keeping Trudy safe, Lord. And we thank you that you're always with us. Right now, we ask that you would speak to us Help us to understand, reveal your word to us, and give us clarity. Help us to become the people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before we get into Acts chapter 1, let me give a little background. So the church has historically been known for a lot of tradition. There's like feast days, you know, Easter is one of them, the resurrection day. Um, There's all kinds of different, like Good Friday, kind of come away, especially in churches like this, from a lot of that tradition. We've moved away because sometimes tradition, it can be like dry and you're just kind of, you're doing something and you don't know why you're doing it and it doesn't really have a meaning. But I would encourage us not to get too far away from it. And so we know, and I think all of us would understand for the world, they make a very big deal because it's the day Every year we stop and we just want to make sure that at least once a year we stop and think about the cross of Christ and the fact that our sin was taken care of, that God loves us even when we were unlovable, and that Jesus did die, but he did rise again. And so we we stop and talk about what that means as far as forgiveness and having a new life. Well, Easter happened on the Jewish feast of Passover. That was the feast that the the Hebrew nation would celebrate, and it was the day they left slavery in Egypt. They spent 400 years there as slaves, and the day that they left, they left in such a rush because they were ready to get out of there, right? If you're a slave and you get told to leave, you're gone. They didn't even have time to put yeast in their bread, so it was unleavened bread, and they took it and they basically left, Well, seven weeks after they left, about seven weeks after they left um, Egypt, when they they went through the Red Sea and they're, they're in the desert, they come to the mountain. And this is the mountain where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And he makes a covenant with them. He makes a promise with them. He gives them their law and the promise that comes with the law. The Feast of Pentecost, it kind of has a double meaning. One is it celebrates the first fruits of the harvest, which is this idea that came from the law that came to Moses, is that when you get blessed, it's from God. That we recognize all blessings are from God. So if I plant a bunch of crops and my crops start to come up, we have a little garden in our backyard and tomatoes and peppers are starting to, you know, starting to see and, you know, watermelons are going to be there soon. But it's the idea that that first harvest, you take the first part and you remember, hey, this was a gift from God. All we did is we put these seeds in the ground, but God brought the rain and God brought the sun and now we're blessed. And so you would take the first fruits 
and you'd kind of offer them back to God. And that's what they would do on the day of Pentecost. It was like a big national festival. People would come back to town, back to Israel, from all over the world, and they would celebrate the first fruits being given seven weeks after the Passover that Moses received the Ten Commandments, that the covenant was given to the nation of Israel. And so it's not surprising if God was going to do something important like save the world by the death of his son, he did it on one um, Hebrew feast, Passover. Well, the next important thing that we really see happening in Scripture happened on the day of Pentecost. And sometimes we don't make a big deal about it. We're afraid to talk about it. But, but this is a very important thing. What happened at this festival, it really changed the church. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, we're going to pick up reading there. Jesus has already died. He's already risen again. And so it says, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he said these things, he was taking up, they were looking at him, and he was lifted up into heaven. A cloud took him out of their sight. So Jesus, the last thing he says, he already talked about salvation and forgiveness and mercy, is he tells these, this group of people, he says, all right, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power to be a witness, to give testimony to point others to the reality that he is who he says he is. And I'm going to make the case, just like the church every year should celebrate the res death and resurrection of Jesus, that we should always remember we couldn't save ourselves, that we were not enough to save ourselves, that we needed Jesus to save us, that has power. But it's not power in ourselves. I have to, like, if you're going to understand the rest of the today's message, you have to understand that just like you couldn't forgive yourself, you cannot empower yourself. The power that we're talking about, the power that is a gift from the Spirit of God, does not depend on you at all. If it does, then it's not God's Spirit. It's not your wisdom. It's not your good looks. It's not your strong arms or strong back. It is a gift from God given for a purpose. And I would make the case, and I think the scripture is pretty clear on this, that just like the church always needs to remember the forgiveness of God, we always need to remember that God wants to empower us. He wants to equip us for the task at hand. All that I'm saying, now, now you, I want you to do, do me a favor. For the next 33 minutes or 30 minutes as I talk, don't try to read into what I'm saying. Just take it at face value what the Word says. Jesus said, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will receive power. Don't define power by what you've seen in other churches. Don't define power by what other men have told you. 
define it by what the scripture is talking about. The scripture is saying that there would be some kind of power given to believers through the Holy Spirit and that it would allow us, anybody who believes, to be able to bear witness of Jesus well. That God would work through us. See, sometimes when we talk about the Spirit, all we talk about is how the Spirit works in us. And that's so important. Like, I'm not, I'm not putting that down at all. The Spirit of God renews us and transforms us, pours out the love of God in our heart. It does all this stuff in us. And if all the Holy Spirit did was that, that would be good enough. If the Holy Spirit just changed our heart and renewed us and cleansed us, because not only does the Holy Spirit come to do stuff in us, but he comes to work through us. Don't define it by what you've seen in other churches. Just define it by what it says in the scripture. If we go to Acts chapter 2, I'm going to read a few verses. I'll start in verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost had finally arrived, so we're 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Remember, they had just seen their leader killed. They, he rose again, but it still wasn't necessarily safe for them. There was still a lot of controversy. They're together in one place, and it says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There's a lot to unpack in that verse. But let, let's go through what I think it's saying. And I think we can agree that it, it's saying this, that they were together. And that something like a divided tongue of fire, I don't know what that is. I wouldn't even know how to draw that. What are you talking about? I don't know. But it was something that they were like, it looks like a tongue of fire. And it was on each of the people in the room. There was some kind of empowering happening. And they were filled with the Spirit of God. After this moment, the church was never the same. The church was transformed from this point on and I honestly believe that God still wants to work today. I don't think God is done. Unfortunately for God, Peter's gone, Paul is gone, John is gone, and we're left with Kevin, Mike, and Ken. Thank God it doesn't depend on Kevin, Mike, or Ken. All right? Or I could throw some people on this side of the church in there. We just have Adam. Not like the first Adam or the second Adam. It's the millionth Adam. I don't know how many Adams there are. But, but I want to tell you, it's not dependent on the person. It's dependent on what God chooses to do through that person. And so as we read this... I want you to, to maybe get in your mind that God really does, not only does God want to work in you, 
You know, we always talk about, we always, and sometimes we, we do it for a reason, and then sometimes it's just, I think, a lack of clarity. We talk about what God want, we want God to do in us. God, grant me peace. I'm anxious. God, heal my heart. I'm hurting. God, give me wisdom. I'm kind of dumb, and I need your help. Like, we talk about all these things that we need in us, and we forget that this is really an outward-facing religion. Love God, love others. Right? Isn't, didn't Jesus say, like, hey, what's this all about? What are the most important commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know that there's a more loving thing than sharing the word of life with somebody who doesn't have it. What more loving thing could you do than introduce someone to Christ to speak or to minister or to live in such a way that you point someone else to Jesus? that you testify, you're just another person getting on the stand. Picture the world is like trying to prove, is Jesus real? Is he not? Did he die? Did he rise again? Is this gospel stuff true? And one by one believers come to the stand. We, we, we say, yes, it's true. I've met him. He's saved me. He's forgiven me. He is alive. And then the next person comes to the stand and they bear witness. It's true. He saved me. I was addicted to drugs and he set me free and, and he transformed my life. And the next guy comes up and says, it's true. My marriage was falling apart. My life was broken and it's true. It works. And the next person comes up and says, you know, I had all the money in the world, but I was just hopeless and I didn't have, you know, I, I had what people think I should have and I was still empty but Jesus filled me. They testify. We need testimonies. We need words of regular believers that are empowered by the Spirit to testify and bear witness for Jesus so that this world might know he is true. And that's what the day of Pentecost talks about. Now let's go through and let's say, all right, is there really a case in the Bible that, that Pentecost is really about this empowerment. I, I think that it is. I want to go to Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. So we're skipping to the very beginning. In fact, before Jesus even began his ministry. This is like foreshadowing a little bit. And in verse 11, this is John the Baptist preaching. His whole job was pointing to Jesus and saying, Jesus is coming, so you might want to clean house. You might want to repent and get your life in order. And he says, I'm baptizing you in water, but the one who is coming after me is mightier than me. So John is saying, yes, you're getting baptized for repentance, but somebody is coming next who is mightier than I am. I can't even carry his sandals. Like John knew who Jesus was. He, he, he understood what, who the Messiah would be and how important he was. And he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Baptism just means immersed. It means completely covered. Though The best explanation that I can really explain, like what I think being baptized in the Spirit is, 
is if you take a sponge that's dry and you put it in a bowl or a bucket of water, the sponge is in the water and the water is in the sponge. Believers should be in the Spirit and the Spirit should be in us. This is God's Spirit. The Spirit, now what I'm saying sounds completely like if you really understand what I'm saying, you should either get very excited and very confident in your God and his grace, or you should think I'm insane. Because I'm saying that God's spirit actually comes upon a person and within a person. That he works within us and that he works through us. That God wants that. That started in Matthew. We already read Jesus said, you know what? Go wait. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In Acts 19, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but if you read Acts 19, the first few verses, you see a bunch of disciples in Ephesus, about 12, that didn't know anything about They received the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden, if you keep going in the chapter, the whole city gets impacted by the gospel. People stop buying idols. They stop going to the false temples. They start being transformed. And I think the scripture is trying to make a case that if people would be led by the Spirit, if God's people would be led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit, then we can make a difference in the cities where we live. Imagine if... Imagine if just one of us caught a hold of the fact that God wants to work in us and he wants to work through us. And imagine if just Kevin, right? I said, well, all we're left with was Kevin. Just Kevin woke up and he said, God, here I am today. Help me to love people. Help me to be kind to people. And Lord, if you want me to talk about Jesus, empower me to do it. See, the gospel is unique. Paul says, I believe it's Romans, says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The gospel itself has power. But think about what God is doing. Not only are you sharing a powerful gospel, imagine, imagine if it were the power of the Holy Spirit. Imagine, imagine if it would take root. Imagine how people would respond. Let's flip to the back, more towards the back of our Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Chapter 2, verse 2. The author of Hebrews says, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable... Every transgression or disobedience received a just, just retribution. What this author is saying is he's pointing to the Old Testament and the fact that Moses received this covenant and that it was reliable. And if you turned your back on the Old Covenant, there was like a price to pay. Like that's what he's saying. But in verse 3, he's starting to talk about the New Covenant. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Notice he's not saying if we, walk, if we 
you know, sin all kinds of willfully ways, but it's just talking about neglecting your salvation. See, neglect takes time. It's not like a one-time thing. You can look at somebody's house and you can see if they've neglected it. Things are starting to fall apart. Everything is broken. They're always going to get to it tomorrow. When are we going to fix that? Tomorrow. When are we going to take care of that? Tomorrow. And there's some people that we treat our salvation like that, like, when am I going to get right with God? Ah, tomorrow. When am I going to share my faith with somebody? Tomorrow. When am I going to be at church? Next week. When am I going to read my Bible? Tomorrow. It's this neglect. So he's saying don't neglect it. He's not even saying don't run away from it. He's just saying treat it well. And why? Why shouldn't it be neglected? Because it was declared at first by the Lord. Why? Jesus said it. Jesus talked about the gospel, the message of the kingdom, and salvation. And if Jesus said it, maybe we shouldn't neglect it. But he's not done, whoever wrote this. He says, and it was attested to us by those who heard. So not only did Jesus tell us the message, but also Peter, Paul, John, James, these guys testified, like I talked about earlier. Why? Because in Acts 2, the Spirit of God came upon these people, and they began to testify boldly, to not be afraid, to stand up in front of everybody and tell people, like, this is for real. Pay attention. Jesus is true. And it says that they attested, also bore witness by signs, wonders, and various miracles, by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. We can debate what this word means and what this word means and how that can look today. We could say like, well, what is it really supposed to look like and how is it really supposed to act and what does that mean? But that's not what we're doing right now. What I want to say is I still believe that God wants to bear witness. In other words, that there can be a time when the Holy Spirit leads you to testify before Jesus, to bear witness about him, and you do your part, and in the background, somehow, God is bearing witness that that person is hearing you, and it's like they recognize this is bigger than just a man or a woman talking. God has already prepared the soil, prepared the heart, and he bears witness. The next thing it says is it says distributed according to his will. The problem we have is sometimes we don't realize this is God's will. When you talk about being empowered, or you talk about God bearing witness with, with signs and wonders, which I still think can happen, you have often two groups of people. You have one group of people that says, you know what, maybe, but I don't think God really does that anymore. If that's you, you can think that. I'd love to talk to you about that. But then you have another group of people that all they want are these signs and these wonders. They forget that the whole purpose of signs and wonders are so that maybe somebody might believe. You have whole books written about signs and wonders. I don't really care about signs and wonders. I do want people to believe God loves them. 
I want God to reveal himself to people. A few examples that like I can think of in my life are times where I feel that God has borne witness. I was thinking about, I went to this church conference in Phoenix and, and the rental car got messed up. So I was upset. You ever have something not go right on vacation and you're just like, come on, you can't even hold a reservation for a rental car. That's your job. All right, so I don't have a rental car. So I'm taking lifts around the city, and I remember as I'm there, like I, I, I move from being frustrated to saying, well, you know what, maybe this is God's will. Maybe God wants me in a car with some people for a season. And so I prayed, and I, I just felt that, like I said, you know, there's going to be someone that you talk to that their marriage is a mess, and you need to pray for them. That was in my heart. Clicked on the app, get in the lift. We're going from, I think, the hotel to the church where this conference was at. And I can't tell you how the conversation got to where it was. I can tell you that as we're sitting and as we're riding and all of a sudden I'm talking to the person, asking questions, not trying to force anything, not trying to be weird. Uh, you know, some people say, well, I, I, you know, Here's a, a confession. I made the statement that the Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. You're just weird because you want to be weird. I ticked a lot of people off with that statement, but I stand by it. You're just who you are. And I stood there in the car. We talked, and all of a sudden, the lady opens up, and she's talking about her marriage and about the struggles that she has and why she's riding a lift to try to make extra money and I was like, you know what's so funny? I was just really felt like the Lord might have somebody that they were struggling in their marriage, but God wanted them to know that, that he's big enough to be your answer. And we say a prayer, and as we say the prayer, we end, oh my gosh, this is the church I go to. I was like, that's pretty cool. It was kind of a confirmation kind of almost as if God was behind the scenes orchestrating things so that this lady would know that God loved her deeply. There's a power that can be with you from the Spirit of God, and I think it's God's design. I'm not talking about what you might see on TV or what you might have had in heard in other places. I'm just saying, like, have a hunger to share the gospel. Have a hunger to share it in his strength. Like, imagine, like, you know why we're afraid to share the gospel? Because we know we can't do it well. Because we're afraid of offending people and saying the wrong thing and doing the wrong thing. What if you just told God that? What if you just told God, say, God, I'm afraid and I'm nervous. I would love to share your truth, but God, I don't even know how to do it. What if you just asked God for wisdom? And what if you just asked him, say, God, empower me. I'm afraid I'll talk and my words will come out so dumb. Just put some power on those words. What if we started praying that way? I'll tell you what happens is God starts answering those prayers. Let's close. We're going to go to the book of Acts, chapter 4.
let's see. I believe verse 18 is where we're going, that this little story can make sense. Number one, how many chapters away is it from Acts 2? Two, right? So remember, we just read Acts 2. The Holy Spirit comes. Peter's big and bold. 3,000 people get saved. They're empowered by the Spirit. Two chapters later. That's just like us. The Bible is so real. How many times has God does something great in your life and you just have faith and joy and hope and two days later, everything's falling apart? It even happened to these people in the Bible. So two chapters later, Peter and John get arrested. They got put in jail. They beat them whoop them and say, you know what? No more talking about Jesus. Enough. We killed them. We're done with it. We thought we took care of it. You just keep your mouth shut. There's a whole group of people telling you today to keep your mouth shut. That what you say isn't important. That you might offend somebody, that you might hurt somebody's feelings. The same thing that was happening. Keep your mouth shut. Verse 18, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered them, okay, sounds good. We're a bunch of little wimps. We're going to, no. It says, I'm sorry, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. That is such an awesome thing to say. If you think it's right for me to listen to you rather than God, you're wrong. For we cannot speak but what we have seen and heard. And that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that you need to testify about every truth that's in the Bible and break down how many angels can fit on the head. Say what you, how it felt before you knew Jesus when your sin was too great for you, and can you tell him what it felt like to be forgiven? Can you tell him what it felt like when you were going through the hardest thing in your life, but you came to God, or you found comfort in the church, and God came through for you? That's all that I'm saying. Can you tell him when you were struggling with something, can you be bold enough to say, I was dealing with this, but man, God brought the answer and it worked. Jesus is real. What we have seen and heard. Verse 21, and they further threatened them. Remember, this was, this was like big time threats. This was not like, you know, go to jail, get a bond, and then, you know, it's a misdemeanor. This is like they beat you with a stick, they lock you in a prison, and then they kill you if they're done with that. Then they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because all the people were praising God for what had happened. What happened earlier in the book, there was a big miracle, and the whole city was like, oh my gosh, that was crazy. How did that happen? Who did it? Peter, John? Peter, John, how did that happen? Peter, John said, it wasn't me, it was Jesus. I've been trying to tell you this for a while. Now you have some evidence. Live this Jesus and believe in him. That's pretty much the earlier part of the book. For this man, on whom the sign of healing was performed, was more than 40 years old. Anybody over 40? It's a miracle if anything happens to any of us, all right? Let's just say, if you've made it that far, you're probably set in your ways, and it's going to take God to transform you. 
Verse 23, but when they were released, they went to find their friends and they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said. So they go and they find their people. Hey, they told us to stop. They told us to stop, like, seriously. They lifted up their voices together. Man, these guys come in and share, like, they had just seen this great miracle. A bunch of people had heard about Jesus. Then they get arrested and, and like, really persecuted hard. Like, it's a roller coaster. They come in and they tell their friends, and their friends just start to pray. You need friends like that. You need friends that when you pour out your heart, that they're just not going to try to give you the answer because most of us in here don't have the answer. But they went to the one. They said, Sovereign Lord. That means the Lord who is in charge of everything. Sovereign means like he makes the choices, not us. Who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. Talking about his creative power. You can kind of hear the faith building in this. Sovereign Lord, you're in charge. You made the heaven, the earth, and everything here. Who through the mouth of our Father, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So they're quoting scripture. And the scripture that they're quoting says, you know, yeah, they're going to gather against us. Yeah, it's not a surprise bad will happen. Like this is part of the cake is that there's persecution. They started with praising in the prayer. They referenced scripture in the prayer. Verse 27. For truly in this city, there were people gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your plan had predestined to take place. So they're referencing the fact that Jesus was killed by these people. So they're like, they killed Jesus. Yeah, you're sovereign. Yeah, you're in charge. Yeah, we know it's not a surprise. But also, they killed Jesus. And we don't really want to die kind of implied there. Verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to give us boldness. It's time for the people of God to have some boldness, not rudeness. Some people heard that and they say, boldness, great, I'm going to tell everybody what I think. Sign me up, Chris. I got this. No. Boldness, not being afraid, not being fearful. And look at verse 30. So they speak with boldness. And in verse 30 it says, While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We speak boldly, but in the background, God is confirming that word. That is one part, not the whole thing, but one part of what it means to be empowered by the Spirit. 
The other part is what God does in you. But this is about what God does through you. And look what happened in verse 31. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. My hope for you, we're done, I know it's, it's a little later. My hope for you is that you leave here today thinking about the fact that God wants you empowered. God wants you to minister out of his strength. This right here goes for everybody leading a small group. What if you took, said, God, you know this is your word. I can't do it any justice. God, help me to speak clearly and boldly and confirm. What if you prayed today and you said, God, you know what? If, if there's somebody out there that doesn't know you and you're trying to reach them, put me in the right place at the right time with the right words. And not every time do you realize God is doing that. Sometimes you don't realize God was working on the situation until you're through it. Not every time God uses you do you recognize, like, hey, God is using me right now. But it's still a good prayer to pray. I honestly believe that the way our culture is going is kind of going the wrong way in a lot of ways. Things that are just not good for people are being said to be good. We know the truth. The message has power in itself. But we can't outsource God's message to Christian TV. We can't say, oh, well, they could hear it on TV. Oh, well, they could buy a Bible and read it themselves. Or they could look up online if they have questions. All that stuff is true. But as believers, we should submit ourselves to being used by God. To being able to say to God honestly, God, if there's somebody out there this week that needs to hear your truth, here I am. Send me there. I want to go. But God, don't let me go in my own strength or my own wisdom because I'll just mess it up. I need your grace and I need your empowerment. How many people today are willing to pray that prayer? If that's you, would you just stand up if you said, you know what, I'm willing to say God. Right. So if you, you that are feeling led in that direction, as this music plays, I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes right now. The apostles and their friends, they poured out their hearts. They said, God, this was what's going on. This is what's keeping them from sharing the gospel. You know what keeps you. So right now, I'm going to ask you to pray quietly. Just begin to say, God, this is what keeps me. Maybe you don't have an opportunity. Say, God, I just don't have an opportunity. Give me an opportunity. Maybe you don't think you're smart enough. Say, God, I'm not smart enough. I just need your wisdom. Maybe you really have fear. 
Like it's not that you're afraid of, of saying the truth, but you really don't want to offend people. Say, God, give me boldness and give me wise words. Begin to pray. I believe God's going to answer your prayer today the same way he consistently did in Scripture. Heavenly Father, you know what keeps us from sharing the gospel, Lord. If it's, if it's the fact that we're not in the right place at the right time, fix that, God. God, if we're timid, grant us boldness. If we need wisdom, give us wisdom. God, we need grace. We need an empowerment. Lord, we're grateful for that. But we pray your spirit would work through us. Help us to be the salt. Help us to be the light. Help us to speak words of love and of truth. God, bring us this week to the people that you're reaching out to. Give us wisdom and discernment. Help us not to say anything wrong, but just to say what's right and what's true and what's needed. By your grace, Lord, through faith in your name. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Hey guys, I'm Bob. <laughs> <laughs>